Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, where we read just a little earlier. I've entitled the message, two words, remember me. Remember me. Just let's unite our heart together in prayer. Lord, we do take a moment to remember the Hops family tonight. We pray, Lord, for Alan and his brothers. We pray that thou would draw near and comfort hearts. Lord, in the shadows that men and women, children in that family, might find Christ as their Savior. Praying that thou would undertake for them in the days before them. As they would go and make their way to a graveyard. God, we pray that they might know thy grace. Underneath are the everlasting and loving arms. Remember Violet tonight. Thank thee for her. Continue, Lord, to give that needed grace and help. Fill the empty chair. O God, fill the great void in her heart. For others that need thee tonight, draw near. Minister unto each one. There's those, Lord, in this meeting house. They're in great need tonight. Praying that thou would meet with them. Thou would stop them in their wild career. They might turn and behold the Christ of God. Give us, Lord, words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. Lord, we pray that it might be signs following preaching of thy word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The word remember is found throughout the scriptures of truth. You might be interested to know that the first time we come across it is from God himself. Genesis chapter 9 and the words of verse 15. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And that was uh, what God said unto Noah after the great flood. Men and women tonight we can say that God is a covenant keeping God. And he is good to his word. And he will not flood the earth again. And that is shown by the bow in the cloud to remind us of his promise. But you know something God knows that we have a failing memory. And there are times where we easily forget the things that we should remember. Aye, and the other is the case as well. We remember the things we would be better forgetting. And so often the exhortation is given to remember. It is found in the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's found uh, repeatedly throughout the book of the Deuteronomy because there in that book the children of Israel are reminded of the things that God had done for them and what he was to them and they were not to forget. It's like a little uh, notepad, forget me not, as they entered into the promised land. Young people are to remember their creator in the days of their youth. But could it not be said that the greatest remembrance of all should be that of the cross of Calvary and of the Savior who willingly laid down his life so that sinful man could be saved? 
And on a day like this in Remembrance Sunday, the words no doubt of John 15 and verse 13, they seem to come home more forcibly to us. It simply says, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And it is to the cross that I want us to go this evening. And this very chapter brings us there. You see, by the eye of faith, we can see the Lord of glory hanging on that middle tree. He was lifted up between heaven and earth as a spectacle for all the world to see. But one who looked to Christ that day, one who saw the Lord of glory as he had never seen him before, wasn't one among the crowd. But rather, he was one who was dying on the cross beside him. We read, of course, that there were two malefactors who were hanging on either side of the Lord of glory. One chose to die as he lived, reviling the Christ of God, dying as a hardened sinner. But this other man, in the very throes of death, was to turn unto the Lord and he was to repent. You see, men and women, he that hath, hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. I want to draw your attention to the words as they are given in verse 42. For it says, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Want you notice, first of all, his repentance. Oftentimes when consideration is given of this dying thief, much is said about his conversion. And the fact that he was saved in the dying hour. But listen, men and women, there is but one deathbed conversion in the Scriptures. One that we may not despair, but only one that we may not presume. I want you to remember that. And here it is. But that which is fearfully overlooked in the preaching about this dying thief is often the signs of repentance which is necessary to salvation. It can be seen, first of all, that this man had a fear of God. And that fear of God arose because he became aware of the heinousness of his own sin, and he was convicted by it. The other thief was reeling in Christ. He was taking up the call of the crowd, and the soldiers that were standing there, where they said, If thou be the Christ, come down, save thyself and us. And here was a man doing the work of the devil. If only the devil could get the Savior to come down from the cross, then the work of God's salvation would be incomplete and there would be no salvation for anyone. This thief cared not for the Lord. He displayed the hardness and the vileness of his heart and he had no compassion on a fellow sufferer. In fact, both were engaged in the reviling of the Christ of God. Matthew in his account says, both of them cast the same in his teeth. But suddenly, the words of the hardened thief, they were to startle his fellow companion in crime, for he rebuked him with these words in verse 40, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? It's bad enough that the crowd was reviling Christ. It was even worse for this man. For he was on the very verge 
of death. He was within a very short time of going out into that great unknown. Had he no fear of what death was bringing to him? Let me ask you, hast thou no fear, dear loved one, tonight, of what lies beyond the grave? For the soul that is unprepared to meet God. This other thief had a certain amount of fear. He believed there was a God. And there's every possibility that within a very short number of hours he will be standing before that God. The fear of God, you see, is the beginning of wisdom. And the psalmist, he could also say in Psalm 76 and verse 7, Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Something else about this thief. Not only had he a fear of God, but he freely and he openly recognized that he was a sinner. They were being condemned for their sin. They're called malefactors. They're called thieves in other gospel accounts. This man realized that what he was receiving was just. Look at verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. There's no miscarriage of justice here. None at all. Where two thieves were concerned, they were receiving what they justly deserved. They were receiving just desserts for their sinful actions. He was a sinner. He was one of the deepest die. There's no lofty self-righteous thoughts. Nor was there a complaint here that they were receiving more than they deserved. He was dying on the cross as a due reward for his sin. Now tell me, tell me, dear friend, have you got to that place yet? Have you come to the place where not only there's a fear of God within your soul, of one with whom you'll have to do one day, one before whom you'll stand as well. Does the words of Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16 have any effect upon you when you consider the impact of that great and that final day of judgment? Let me read them to you because it speaks of the sevenfold scope of mankind because the kings are there. We have a king on the throne now. The kings are going to be there in this day. The great men are there. The rich men are there. There are those who think because of their riches they're above everybody else. And they'll be different when it comes before standing before God. Well, the rich men are here. And the chief captains are here. And the mighty men are here. And every bondman in here is here. And the free men are there. Seven. Sevenfold category of mankind. And what are they saying? They're saying to the mountains and to the rocks, just think of it, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And we have mountains just behind us a little. I've been to Nepal, as you know, and I've seen the highest mountains in the world. And here mankind in this sevenfold category is calling on those mountains to fall on them and to hide them. They want to hide from the face of the Lamb that sitteth on the throne. Why? For the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Does that have any impact upon your heart at all? My friend, even if there's a certain amount of fear of having to come before God, I wonder, have you recognized like this thief did that you are a guilty sinner? 
deserving of your just rewards in a lost sinner's hell. And if you were to fall into that place where God has forgotten to be merciful, then you'd have to acknowledge that you have received justly for your sins. There be no miscarriages of justice in hell. Every one of us deserved to be there. But this thief also realized not only that God was God and he believed there was a God, there's a fear of God, not only that he was a sinner, but he recognized the one who hung on that middle cross was innocent and he was dying unjustly. For you see the rest of verse 41, it says, it says but this man hath done nothing amiss. This man hath done nothing amiss. The word amiss is only found in two other places in the New Testament. One of them is Acts chapter 28 verse 6. The other, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. In one verse it is rendered harm. In the second verse it is rendered unreasonable. Now you bring out all those thoughts of those two words into the sentence. And so this thief, seeing the Christ of God, speaking to his fellow companion in crime, he says to him, this man has done no harm. This man has done nothing unreasonable. He testified to all within the sound of his voice that Christ was sinless. He had done nothing worthy of this cursed death. For cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What he had heard others say, what he had witnessed himself, assured him that he was innocent. Not only did this man realize he was a sinner, but he realized that there was one there that day on that middle cross who was free from sin, who could save from sin. And he realized like Pilate, and he realized like the centurion would say, Surely this was the Son of Man, Son of God. Surely this was a righteous man. And here's a dying thief and he recognizes the sinlessness of Christ. Remember, dear friend, tonight the Lord Jesus Christ is not just some man. He's not even just some good prophet as this idolatrous society would try and tell us. But he is the only Savior. He is the only one who can save the poor, vile sinner, for he himself was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him there was no guile found in his mouth, but rather men and women in him who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree. These are the signs of repentance in this thief. Now tell me, have you reached this place yet? For where there's no repentance, there's no conversion, there's no salvation. You too are dying, dying in your sin. And if you do not realize that you're a sinner, then you will never seek a savior. But this dying thief realized it. And he realized it on the very cusp of an eternal, eternal death. And he looked to the one who was on the middle cross. And he repented. What about his petition? And there's true repentance of sin. There will always follow not only confession with the mouth, but there will be inevitably follow true prayer. True prayer is found in every true conversion. 
It will be said of what was said of Saul of Tarsus, Behold, he prayeth. And this man was to turn to the Christ who hung on that middle cross and he simply spoke a few words by a way of petition. Verse 42, you have it. He said, Jesus, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You'll note his prayer was one of faith. Did you hear the manner in which he addressed the Lord? He addressed the Savior. He addressed the man on the middle cross. He said, Lord, not only did this dying thief believe he was a good man, an innocent man, but he believed he was the Messiah. He believed he was the Lord. He believed that this man had authority. He believed that he was Lord of Lords. He believed that he was a king, for no one has a kingdom unless he's a king. He understood that he was Lord over all. You see, Lord means sovereign. Here was a sovereign one. Here was the one promised from the Old Testament times. And this man had been given the gift of faith to acknowledge him as Lord. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, it'll throw light upon how this man was to address the Savior as he did. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 says this. He says, Wherefore I give you to understand, Paul's writing to the believers, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God had enlightened this man's understanding and he had wrought faith in him to believe in Christ. He looked by faith to Christ. He was to be gloriously converted. His prayer was one of faith. He believed. If a sinner is ever to be saved from their sin, and the word that they hear from the Lord must be mixed with faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I wonder how many times have you heard the call of the gospel? But how many times has been true of you what we read in Hebrews 4 and 2? He said, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You can sit in the house of God, you can hear the gospel preached, but it's not mixed with faith. You can go out through those doors just the same way, in fact, worse than you came in. But a look at this prayer will reveal that it was humble. There's only a very few words, but words which could not be much any more effective. Lord, remember me. He humbly petitioned his Lord that he would remember him. He doesn't mention any other thing. It's enough for him to be remembered by Christ. This man believed he was petitioning the king, the Lord of the invisible world, and a place in his kingdom he desired. To be remembered of the Lord was all that mattered to this dying thief. To be remembered of him was the most important thing. 
wasn't caring about his present circumstances. He wasn't taken up with the pain and agony that he was enduring. His mind was upon the proximity of death that would usher him away from the scene of time. His thoughts were upon that which was to follow death, the great hereafter. And all that he desired was to have the assurance that the Lord would remember him. Men and women, I go back to where I started. He is a covenant-keeping God, and he will remember his own. He doesn't forget his sheep, the great shepherd of our souls. To ever be led to pray this prayer, this man had come to a knowledge of certain truths within a very short space of time. I tell you something, his prayer is the basis of a good creed. He believed that his soul did not die with the body. Or he would not have said, Lord, remember me. Understand that? Here's a man, he realized, my soul doesn't die when my body dies. Lord, remember me. The soul of man is that which is never dying. It's eternal. It lives as long as God lives. And when death comes, it does not go to sleep. It doesn't be annihilated. But as this man understood, it lives on. And you've only got to go to Luke chapter 16 and you find the rich man, it was said of him, he died and was buried. There's his body. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. There's his soul. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Your soul is eternal. That's what makes it different between you and the beast in the field tonight. And that soul of yours can either be saved or it can be lost. There's only one of two. He was a man who believed that after this life there's a world to come. Where the righteous will be rewarded. Where the impenitent shall be punished. And look at the way that these two men died at either side of the Savior. One repenting of a sin, the other remaining impenitent. Reminds us of that passage in which the Lord spoke about the dividing of the sheep and the goats. On the last great day, one shall be ushered into the presence of the Father. The other shall not be departed into those everlasting torments. I remind you, dear loved one, tonight that it is appointed on the man once to die. And after this, the judgment. You know what Job could say? Job said, man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? Tell me if death was just within a few hours. For you. As it was for this man that we're looking at tonight. This is 12 o'clock in, in, in noonday. Within three or so hours. He'd be out into eternity. And if death was that close to you tonight. Where would you be in eternity? Here's a man who's prepared to roll his soul for the eternal safekeeping upon the Savior, even though he was dying on that cross. For you, dear sinner, death could be near, but the Savior whom we present to you is no longer on three. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He's a living Savior. He's purchased our salvation at Calvary. And because he ever lives, he's able to save to the uttermost. All that come unto God by heaven.
I wonder, dear loved one, will you be found in prayer this evening, calling upon the Lord to have mercy on your soul, to prepare you for the great eternity. I'll tell you something, it'll be a remembrance Sunday you'll not forget. The night when God came down in grace and saved me, and I was prepared for eternity. Will you pray, Lord, remember me? Me. When you see his promise, just in closing, it could be said that few dying people have ever left behind such evidence of their conversion as this man did. For when this man cried out to the Lord, he was to answer him. The Savior demonstrated his power and his willingness to save sinners, even on the cross. He had done it through his earthly ministry, but he even did it on the cross when he was dying. Would he be mindful of him in his kingdom? The Lord assured him he would, for he said, Verily I say unto you, see that word? It's the same word when we say, Amen. Exact same. It simply means, surely, of a truth, so be it, so it will be. Verily I say unto you, this dying man who hadn't the opportunity to go to church, he hadn't an opportunity to sit in the synagogue, he had never been to the Lord's table, he had never been baptized, he couldn't do good works. He's on the cross. And of course it all proves the false claims that baptism can save a soul or that good works is the means of our salvation. But he had simply repented of his sin. He had simply looked by faith to the man of Calvary, to the one that was on that middle cross. And he had called upon him for mercy. Lord! The very title above his head, this is the king of the Jews. Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom, That's how you can be saved tonight. A child can understand that. It's not A, P, C, D, plus D, Y, Z, and all the rest of it. It's simply look by faith and repentance of your sin to Christ. As the dying thief did. Look at this man's conversion. And it proves beyond doubt that God's salvation is all of grace. He's a wretch of a sinner. Deserving of the worst punishment, there's nothing which recommended him to the Lord from his past. And yet the mercy and the grace of God was to reach out to this man on the very stroke of a lost eternity. He literally was to be that brand plucked from the burning. And men and women, just in case you think you are deserving of heaven, you're not. We all deserve eternal punishment. Not one of us deserve the Lord's mercy. Salvation is all of grace. The promise of the Lord he received was furthermore one which was immediate. You see it? He says today. Verse 43. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The weight of divinity, the weight of doctrine hangs on that one word. You know, I thank God that this passage is in the canon of Scripture. I thank God that this verse even is found within the word of God. For it destroys many erroneous teachings that false religions lay claim to. The moment a soul dies in Christ, they are in that state of happiness with the Lord. 
Yes, the full redemption will only occur after that resurrection morning when the body will reunite with the soul. We know that. Men and women, there's no delay. There's no suspense. There's no season of suspense nor a word about purgatory here. In fact, the verse destroys the whole gambit of lies about purgatory that Rome teaches. It shows us that no purification of any kind after death is needed if the person has died in Christ with their sins having been forgiven, their sins having been cleansed through the Savior's precious blood. If this thief needed no purgatory, then the whole doctrine of it falls apart. And the Lord said to him, Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. There would be no delay. His promise had immediate effect. He was to be as sure of heaven that moment as if he is already there. And that destroys the notion of soul sleep that the Russellites would try and uh, tell us and present to you as well, otherwise known as JWs. That very day his soul would be with the Lord in that heavenly land. The moment he breathed his last, he would be in paradise. He certainly could be described by the hymn writer, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Man, woman, boy or girl can be born again in an instant of a moment. That's how it happens. Oh, the blessing of God's wonderful salvation. You know, the promise spoke of something intimate. We've looked at it today. Verily I say unto you, here's the assurance, today thou shalt be with me. There's something intimate. You're of company. And that company would be his Savior, his Lord, and he'll be with him for all eternity. The paradise of which the Savior referred to suggests abundance, security, beauty, delight. The Savior, by coming and by dying on that cross, had regained for sinful man that paradise which Adam had lost due to his disobedience and due to his sin. In fact, is better than our first parents ever knew. Because the paradise of Christ that he has purchased through the blood of his cross will never know the serpent creeping into it. Satan shall never taint it. Satan shall never spoil its purity, the way he did with the Garden of Eden. It didn't matter where this paradise was. For that converted thief, he was to hear the words of the Savior, Thou shalt be with me. Where Jesus is, is heaven there have you got Christ with you today did you have a little taste of heaven today tell me is this the climax of your hope the great exceeding promise precious promise that you have in Christ my prayer that you would make sure of heaven tonight, that you would repent of your sin, that you would cast your soul's eternity and its eternal welfare upon the finished work of Calvary. Simply by faith, take Christ as your Savior. Man, woman, boy or girl, 
You could pray the same prayers as dying thief did. Lord, remember me. I tell you something, he'll not cast you out. You'll be remembered by Christ. Especially come that great and final day when the roll is called up yonder. You'll be able to say, preacher, tonight I'll be there. Have you that assurance? That's what the gospel gives you. That's what the work of Christ on that cross purchased for sinners and rebels such as we. Remember me. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts tonight and to the salvation of a precious soul. 151, we're going to stand and sing in closing. And the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. The morning breaks eternal bright and fair. And the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called upon under. I'll be there.
Father and our God, we thank thee for thy presence in our meeting tonight. We pray, Lord, that men and women would make sure that when the roll is called up yonder, they'll be there. Thank the Lord for the purchase of a full and free salvation. Thank the Lord for the man of Calvary. Praise the Lord for thy grace that reached even to that dying thief, the very throes of death. Lord, bring these eternal realities before men and women tonight, that within hours the death angel may call on them, and they need to be ready, need to be prepared to meet their God. Speak, we pray, when the preacher's voice is silent. We ask these things in our Savior's precious name. Amen.